today on the Arkansas Moderati Podcast, powered by the Purple People Project. Rob Ryersey, Executive Director for Vortex Pack, joins us to discuss the huge financial delta between how the GOP in Arkansas and the Democrat Party collect filing fees. This story sounds wonky, but it's staggering, and it gives insight on how the Republican Party has created an election machine that is difficult and almost impossible to beat. We also get an update on Vortex Pack and its efforts to drive new candidates and bench strength into the Arkansas Democrat Party, as well as a few comments for center-right Republicans and former Republicans and the politically homeless. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Arkansas Moderati Podcast. Here we go. Rob, welcome. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. So listen, Robin, I want to talk about the progress you're having with Vortex and a couple of other things, but the top thing on my mind is a greater understanding of how the funding for the Arkansas uh, GOP and Democratic parties hinges on these filing fees, which came in the news pretty clearly in the last several weeks. You and I had a conversation about a month ago about this, and it was just really eye-opening to me. So I wanted to start there, if that's cool with you. Yeah, that sounds great. Tell us what you know and and what it truly means. What does it mean to Arkansas politics that there's this disproportionate situation going on with these filing fees? Yeah, I had no idea about Arkansas filing fees until I decided to run myself. In 2018, I was recruited to run for Congress and did that. I ran in the Republican primary against Steve Womack. And the calculation, the idea was, what if... We primaried Steve Womack from the left. And so I ran as a progressive Republican and didn't win, but learned a lot in the process. And one of the things I learned about was what it takes to get on the ballot. Now, I was running, I was recruited by a group called Brand New Congress that had recruited people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Cori Bush, people around the country. And we were running as a cohort, as a team. And it was really interesting as everyone was filing to run. Some people had to collect signatures. Some people had to pay fees. And then I figure out, okay, what do I have to do to be on the ballot? And I found out that I had to pay a filing fee. And I found out that filing fee was $15,000 in 2018. And I found out that filing fee would be paid to the Republican Party of Arkansas. And and this was just stunning to me. I started asking other congressional candidates around the country that I was in this cohort with, hey, what do you ha- what do you have to do to be on the ballot? And guy in Ohio was like, I have to collect 50 signatures. I'm like, and he's like, no, I have to collect 50 signatures. That's what it is. And Alexandria in New York, I think had to collect 5,000 signatures. And a lot of folks most states in the country either have some kind of signature collection or the filing fee to to run uh, is 1% of the salary of the office that you're running for. So I think congressional representatives make $170,000. So to run for Congress in most states in the country, you either have to collect signatures or you have to pay like $1,700, something like that. Arkansas is one of three states where that money is paid not to the Secretary of State's office, but it's paid to the state parties. And the state parties get to set what the amount is. 
and Arkansas's filing fees are the highest in the country. Second is Georgia, which is, no, I'm sorry. Second is Florida, which is a little over $10,000. Or you could collect signatures in lieu of paying that fee. And then the third on the list is Georgia, which is like $5,600. So in 2018, literally no one in the country paid more than I did to have their name on the ballot. Now, a few other folks paid the same amount, Steve Womack and French Hill and all those guys. When you are taking corporate PAC money and you've got millions of dollars in your war chest, 15000 is no big deal. When you are a grassroots candidate, a regular person trying to run for office who's not independently wealthy and is collecting that money $27 at a time from good-hearted people, it, it takes a lot. And yeah, so that's how I learned that Arkansas has the highest filing fees in the country, $15,000 in 2018. Now, the news last week is that the Republican Party has decided to increase the amount that they will charge congressional candidates, and it's going from $15,000 to $30,000. They're doubling it. And so so it was already the highest in the country, right? And now they've doubled it. A literal double down. And so what it feels like is kind of an incumbent reelection machine that they're trying to create just from the outside looking in. Yeah, I think so. There have been primary challenges to a few of the Republican Congress people. Like I said, I did it in 2018 from the left. There was Steve Womack here in, in District 3 had a challenger in this last election from the right, a real a real Trumpy guy. And and so I think that's part of it is the desire to keep people out of the races. But I also think it's one of those things where they can get away with it. And so they do. And I got to tell you, when I went to Little Rock to file and to, to write the check and to get my name on the ballot, went to the state capitol. And in that process, you go through this line and you stop at the table for the party and you fill out some paperwork and you write the check. And there on the table was a, have you ever been to like a church bake sale where it's a slice of pie for $3, <laughs> chocolate chip cookies, $1.50. And then like it, there's like that clear plastic thing with the prices printed. So, yeah. you know, they had one of those for the offices and it said governor $30,000, U.S. Senate $25,000, U.S. House $15,000. It was just unreal. But now in come November, when Steve Womack and French Hill and others will be filing, the sign will read 30000 I guess inflation is a thing for the Republican Party of Arkansas. There's a couple of... So before we move to the next question, then the is it, a, is it an apparatus of control or is it just a grift or is it all of the above? Because it would seem to me that if you had undesirable candidates that as the party group, you did not want them to run, then this makes a a nice barrier for entry because those people have to go out and raise money from individuals. And if they're not desirable, they're not going to raise the money. Is it a grift? Is it a control apparatus? What, how do you see it? I'm not sure. I know that at the time when the law was changed, 
there were, a f- and really there's only been a few people around the state that I've even heard talking about this. Greg Letting talks about it. Nate Bell talks about it. Nate Bell talks about being in the room when these decisions were made. And it really was about keeping regular people from running, protecting the incumbents. But I think it has shifted into a revenue stream. So just just as a thought experiment, if you think back to 2016, to run for president and to be on the ballot in Arkansas, the filing fee for president was $25,000. There was that year 13 Uh candidates for president on the Republican side. Myriad um, candidates. Yep. And and they raised three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, something like that. I it actually might have been sixteen because there's a bunch of also rants. They raised just about a half million dollars purely on the presidential line for to run for office. In now, a moot Democrat, exercise where there was no chance that any of them had a chance to win, except for 20, the yeah, runner. The, yeah, this was 2016 when there was still a Republican primary. And and then in on the Democratic side, the cost was $2,500. And there were six candidates. There was Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders and that guy who was the governor of Maryland, I think. And then there's, there's always... A couple other also rands. And so six thousand yeah, $2,500 while the Republicans get $500,000 from their presidential candidates, Democrats in Arkansas got 15,000 from their presidential candidates in 2016. It's just a dramatic difference. Sometimes people ask me, like, why do you think the Republican Party of Arkansas is so much stronger than the Democratic Party? And I think there's a lot of reasons, but part of it is economics, that the fi- the way the filing fees are structured in Arkansas provides a revenue stream for Republicans that, frankly, Democrats can't match and have decided not to match for a variety of reasons. Because you project into this coming election and 2024, Republicans have raised the filing fee on the congressional line to $30,000, which means they're going to raise at least $120,000 just from that line item alone. Democrats have had the filing fee for congressional candidates at $2,500. Conceivably, with four candidates around the country, they're going to raise $10,000. It's 12 Rob, times what, more. Rob, what do they do? What money's a tool? What do they do with it? Does the executive oh, director get a raise or yeah, I mean, it pays salaries what? for team members? It it buys media, it uh, it funds the infrastructure. Now, political parties are funded in a variety of different ways. Donations are a part of it, but here in Arkansas, the Republican Party of Arkansas in particular is funded by filing fees. It's a huge part of what their budget is. And you look at, as we head in again to on the presidential side in 2024, come November of this year, there's going to be, I don't know, at least a dozen Republicans who are going to be paying a $25,000 fee that, to be listed as a candidate. That's another $300,000 that they're going to be raising purely from that, for doing nothing, literally doing nothing. This is as passive income as you can get. 
Yeah, that is really troubling in a lot of ways, but I can imagine it doesn't get a lot of press. So why should Joe, average Joe and average Jolene out there in Arkansas care about this? The question becomes is, who do you want to represent you? Uh, on the congressional line, like representative is literally the job title. Like it's literally what the job is to represent you. Who best understands your life? Someone who can throw around 30 grand like it's no big deal. Someone who's got a war chest of $2 million in the bank that they can just do whatever with because they're bought and paid for by the big corporate packs that 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 fund them. Or is it someone who is going to, is really going to work hard to even raise $2,500 to be on the ballot. I think that it becomes a question of who will represent you. And then from the vantage point of the candidates, it ultimately becomes a question of where does your loyalty lie? And I think when I first ran for office, campaign finance reform was not on my top 10 list of issues. If you had, you'd ask me, what are you, what are the, why are you running? I would have talked about healthcare and the environment and jobs and taxes and wages and all those kinds of things. That's sexy stuff. Oh yeah. Now campaign finance reform, I think is the most important issue that exists because I've learned that every single issue that you care about, whether it's education or healthcare or immigration, whatever it might be, all of it goes back to how our campaigns are financed. The loyalty of our elected leaders is not with the voters who vote for them. It's with the people who fund their campaigns. And I think it's even more dramatic here in Arkansas where our filing fees are far and away the most expensive in the country. Do you believe that the Democratic Party in Arkansas doesn't try to mimic this in some way, even to a lesser degree? Is it an ethos question or is it a question of just the reality of candidates on the ground and whether or not they could raise that kind of money? Yeah, I uh, I think we've seen the Democratic Party over the last few cycles have shifted positions on this. I think at first there was a bit of an arms race and there was that sense of we've got to keep up and we've got to raise fees to try to keep up. I think it became an impediment to people actually stepping up and running. And so we saw in the last cycle that the Democratic Party of Arkansas slashed filing fees because you have to pay to have whether you're running. We've talked a lot about president and Congress, but if you're running for the state legislature, there's filing fees that go along with that as well. And and the Democratic Party has slashed those filing fees in an effort to get people who will be able to run. Now, I think what's the solution is should Democrats raise their fees to try to keep up and raise money? I tend to think not. What I think should be done is that we ought to have, and this is my dream personal project that I haven't done anything with yet. I would love to see a ballot initiative, constitutional amendment to change the way we fund elections here in Arkansas. We should be doing what 47 other states do. This should be money that is not used to, if we're going to have a representative democracracy, I think this is the way we've got it now, 
the system that we're using now undermines our ability to have a representative democracy. I would love to see us as citizens in Arkansas say, no, this isn't working for us. We need to change how, what this is. There needs to be signature gathering. There needs to be a 1% fee of the salary of the position sought that's paid to the Secretary of State. We need to do what the rest of the country is doing and stop this bilking of corporate PACs by the Republican Party of Arkansas. But the irony of that is that if that actually happened, if there was a ballot initiative put on for us to vote on, that the Republican Party would have 150 times more money to fight against that ballot initiative than the Democrats would because yes. of what we're what we would be voting. Yes. But I and this is the single most perplexing thing to me about Arkansas politics is how voters will vote one way when it comes to ballot initiatives and another way about who will represent them. So they'll vote for raising the minimum wage and also elect people who will try to undo that. They will vote for medical marijuana and vote also vote for people who will try to undo that. It's, it is totally perplexing to me about why Arkansas voters vote one way when it comes to ballot initiatives and another way when it comes to actually electing candidates. So that actually gives me hope because we've seen much more moderate, much more progressive ballot initiatives make it through with high numbers, 60%, 60% medical marijuana, 60% for raising the minimum wage, while at the same time, the the state has remained very red in the state legislature and in the congressional delegation. Yeah. So if we take the topic full circle, then one of the things that we share in common is this fight against the supermajority and any legislative solution that could come to pass on this. I know Greg Lettings has filed a bill. None of these things will go anywhere as long as there's a supermajority in place. How do we how do we convince the average Joe and Jolene in Arkansas that the supermajority is a bad thing and not a good thing? Because we can't even have discussions about issues like this or any other issues while there's a supermajority in place. Yeah. Yeah. And to take that a, to take that a step backwards, the average Joe and Jolene in Arkansas don't vote. Yeah. To state the obvious, how do you get a non-voting state to go against the vested interests of the people in power? The inmates are running the asylum and we're letting them do it. So it's a, I'm stating the obvious, it's a. But you're really good at it. Somebody has to. Oh, I said, I've always been told I have an incredible grasp for the obvious. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's like you got to walk it back another step. First off, yeah, how do we get uninvolved people involved? Yeah, before I, you I, can begin to tackle a lot of these other problems. Yeah, whoever cracks that nut here in Arkansas is going to is going to do just fine. I think when you look at other models in other states, there, what you need is. There, there's three things to, that you need for to have a successful campaign to, to win an election. You need to have the right climate and the climate here in Arkansas is tough. No doubt. It's not impossible, but it's tough. You need to have a strong campaign. You need to have the nuts and bolts of running a campaign. You actually need to do the work. You need to have the team together. You've got to have all of that in place. And then you have to have a strong candidate. 
candidate quality really matters. And the thing that can engage people, the thing that can excite people, the messenger is as important as the message. And so we've got to really do the work of finding candidates who will excite people. Now, I, I think that, you know, Chris Jones was a tremendous candidate in for governor in 2022. I like to say to people like, we're, we so often feel like we are voting for the lesser of two evils. I think there was a whole bunch of us who went to vote in the 2022 election and felt like I'm not voting for the lesser of two evils. I'm actually voting for a really good guy here. And Chris, Wait, was, me... the, Chris was the right candidate. Now, I think there's opportunities for his campaign to be stronger and the climate was difficult, which made it hard for him. So I think what we've got to do is do all of this work. I love what you guys are up to because I think that helps the climate. And then we've also got to find great candidates. And you look at the opportunity that, you know, politics aside and whether you agree with her or not, I think back to 2018 and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I joke that I, I knew her when she was just Alex before she was AOC. Alexandria is a tremendously charismatic person, whether you agree with her politics or not. Yeah, tremendously charismatic, innovative, and was able to get people excited. Chris, I think in a lot of ways was that way here in Arkansas. We've got to find people. And when I say this, I don't mean necessarily when it comes to policy. I mean, we've got to find the kind of people that people would feel like, yeah, I want to vote for this person. How do you think Chris Jones would have done against Tim Griffin? I think Chris would have beaten Tim Griffin. I think Sarah Sanders had tremendous name recognition. She had personal goodwill with people who liked her father. She had the, what I would call the guilt by association with Donald Trump. But for many voters here in Arkansas, that was actually a positive thing. And then she had the $19 million of out of state money. Tim Griffin is not not nearly as charismatic as Sarah Sanders is. He's also tone deaf on top of how he yeah. says things. He's also tone deaf. Yeah. Just across is angry. This is the scary. first time I've heard this is the first time I've heard Sarah Huckabee Sanders referred to as charismatic. Um I, she has I think a, a bomb just went off in yeah, my head. She's got a yeah, her, weird. She's got a presence though. She's yeah. got and the people that like her really like her. And and they she's got a built-in loyalty. She's got a she's got oh, a fan base. Anybody that the libs, and I use that term liberally, but I guess that's odd, but anybody that that just really pokes the libs is gonna get more attention. And liberals hate hated what she did in the White House. And actually a lot of middle of the road people hated what she did in the White House, but that even makes her more popular with the, what did Rick Wilson call it? The minivan Taliban, the moms for liberty and people like that. Right. Yeah. She does have a, char a charisma there because I think especially there's a lot of moms out there that feel like, Hey, she's one of us. She looks like one of us. She sounds like one of us. It was interesting. We're not supposed to in any way, shape or form talk about her appearance. And I get that. I don't think we should talk about it, but it's really interesting that when she was in Washington, she was wearing some really expensive clothes and she looked professional and relatively nice. And when she came back, she switched gears. And if somebody like Hillary Clinton had done that 
so dramatically. It's the clothing equivalent of Hillary talking with an accent when she was the first lady of the state and saying, I'm not going to be no Annette out there. It's been interesting to watch her come back here and act like she belongs because I think clearly she doesn't. And I think she even knows that. Yeah, I think she is auditioning and campaigning to be vice president. And everybody that is serving on her team is there for this exact same reason for a future career move. Yeah, It's weird, though, because she hasn't actually endorsed the former president from Mar-a-Lago no. yet. Like, oh, I... I... And it's I she's brought in so many people from Florida. I thought that she was probably setting herself up thinking that Ron DeSantis was actually going to be the. Uh, yeah, there was actually a story a couple of months ago that they had sent each other love notes behind the scenes. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Oh, it's I'm also sorry. She, she's also, that was a that afternoon also, snack that didn't do me much good. We'll edit that out so, later. Yeah. It's also Sorry. political pragmatism. Ultimately, everybody gets into politics and they're out for themselves. She's waiting yeah. to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is the problem with reining in the money, though, too. Nobody ever stands up and says, I'm too powerful. You know what I mean? There's going to be serious pushback to that money collection coming to a stop. And I think that's the background of it exacerbates all the problems that we have trying to get a more reasonable Chris Jones, I think was probably the best candidate for governor that we've had in my lifetime. And if the distance between the, you know, if you just think of it as a scorecard, the distance between what Sarah scored and what Chris scored is daunting. If you're thinking about trying to close that gap. And to me, it's a question of, like you said earlier, the apparatus, all of the salaries that collecting all that money every cycle pays and the support that it would represent to carry those messages out to every corner of the state. I think it feels like the National Democratic Party has abandoned Arkansas, just the wilderness, like they're not going to contribute at all. So I, I know that's an unpopular opinion, but it just feels like they've just shrugged their shoulders and decided that this is enemy territory and that it can't be won back. I don't know that that's a question. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, I, yeah, I think you're right. I don't disagree with you, Jeff. I think that I'm of the belief that every, we need to contest every seat and we absolutely. need to do it with high quality candidates. And I think focusing, I think in the same way that there's a frustration with the national party saying, okay, you're abandoning this state, this region, the South, whatever, you're just writing it off. I think the Democratic Party of Arkansas needs to be careful not to do the same thing when it comes to right. certain races. I think we need to contest all of them and keep moving the ball forward. And and frankly, that takes money. And And I've referenced AOC a couple of times. I remember something that she said on a call with a group of us in 2017. She said, and it's a statement she made that has been the mantra of mine ever since. She said, they can outspend us, but we can outorganize them. And there, there comes a point where like the only way to overcome the money hurdle 
is to do the hard work and to be organized. One of the things Steve Womack destroyed me in the in the Republican primary in 2018, but one of the things I'm most proud of is he spent over $13 for every vote that he received in that primary. Hmm. I spent $1.77 for every vote I got. And I like and I think, man, if I had just had a little bit more money. <laughs> yeah. I, so I think that that's it. There's some point. It's that thing that they talk about with money. There's a certain amount of money that will like, until you hit that, like there's a certain amount of money that will make you happy. And then you're like, the mm-hmm. amount of happy you are beyond that doesn't appreciably change. Diminishes. I think there's a certain amount of money you have to run, you have to raise to run a competitive campaign. And then there's a surplus beyond that's just ridiculous. So we need to like, whatever that number is, I'm not sure we figured it out yet. Whatever that number is here in Arkansas, we've got to have great candidates who will do the work of raising that money because it's work. It's work to yeah, raise money. Yeah, it is. I watched and, it. And it's not just, it's not one of those things you can just blame voters and be like, oh, yeah. people don't donate. No, there are candidates who don't do the call time who I, there was a candidate in 2022 that I would sit with her and I just, as a friend, and I would just beg her to do some fundraising and she's not get to it. And she never did. And her campaign looked like it. And so there, I think there's a certain amount of money like you have to run a competitive campaign, but it's not nearly as much as, as the $2 million in the coffers. My friend, I've gotten to be friends with Marcus Flowers, who ran against Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia. He raised $19 million and got 35% of the vote. It's not just money. There's yeah. it, Money's a part of it, but it's not the only part. See, I, Rob, I want to push back a little bit on the contest every race because when you have limited resources you have to me if you run if your goal is to run a candidate in every district you're spreading those resources so thin that you may be instead of marcus flowers raising 19 million dollars what if that money had gone to the minnesota secretary of state's office yeah when I hear that contest every race, I get it. It makes sense. But when you're dealing with limited resources, you, to me, you've got to look at the races that are win- starting out, the races that are winnable, and that's where you throw your money behind. I'm going to get all now, but Sun Tzu in The Art of War said, or Sun Tzu or whoever we're quoting in the business world this week, he who defends everything defends nothing. Is that not the same principle? Yeah, I hear you. I put on my, I'm a former pastor. I put on my former pastor hat. And when I have interacted with voters around the state, uh, I have encountered a real strong pessimism that exists, a real strong kind of defeatist cynicism. attitude, cynicism. Yeah, it exists. Like it's there. It's real. I think there's a few reasons for that. I've actually been doing some research on the side about, I I came away from one of our Vortex events, not the one you were at, Tom, but one of our Vortex events. And I just had this sense of, wow, these voters are traumatized. And so I've been doing some work and giving some thought to the idea of the impact of trauma on voters. And it's been pretty interesting. You should have me on another time to talk about that. But I think the other- If you actually have that in writing, I would love to read it. I will. I'll send it your way. Okay. And uh, I do, I have it in writing. The other thing though, that I've seen is this discouragement. I think that there is 
widespread, there is a scarcity mindset when it comes to politics. There's not enough money. There's not enough resources. There's not enough people. There's not enough candidates. There's not enough voters. And that may be the case. I'm not convinced it is. I have been encouraging folks around Arkansas to adopt instead of a scarcity mindset to adopt an abundance mindset that, Hey, there is enough. There are resources. Like when you think about, we are a year and a half away from an election. It's an, it's the summer of an off year and democratically adjacent organizations in the state of Arkansas have raised this summer far more money than any democratic organizations have ever raised in the state of Arkansas. Like I, whether, you know, whether it's capes or emerge or other groups that are, that are organizing money is being raised and it's, and it, in vortex, it feels like it, there's enough for everybody. So I, 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 and I have a friend who calls me the patron saint of lost causes. So you can feel free to just dismiss all this and remain cynical if you want. No judgment from me on that. But I think it would be far better for Democrats in Arkansas to embrace an abundance mindset that, hey, there is enough if we'll do the work and find the right people and make the case, as long as it's, there's not enough and we can't, we don't have good people to run. And that's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. You lose every race that you do not enter someone into. Yeah. As a baseline. People yeah, that Michael run Scott unopposed. Quoting Wayne Gretzky, you like, you, my favorite my my favorite thing about this is I think about Jim Valvano in in it was in 1983 when NC State won the tournament as huge underdogs and he was asked like he's they're going into that final game and now I can't remember who they played in that final game who they play in that final game Houston by Slamma Jamma yeah that's right and they said coach you've got no chance you can't win this game and his response was who can't win this game. UCLA can't win this game because they're not in this game. And it's like, as long as we're fielding a team, we've got a chance. And I, That's right. and there, I think there's something about that. Hey, listen, I get, I want to be, I am not delirious and out of touch with, from reality about those Tom's been to a vortex event. We start by talking through the challenges. They're like, there are big challenges. It's clear. Very clear in the beginning. We're going to be real about that. But at this, but we're not going to let those challenges discourage us or keep us down. We're actually going to let them be a motivation. So I think there's a lot of ways to look at it. If all we ever do is talk about why we can't do it, we're, I used, when I ran for Congress, my stump speech started with the line, I'm the kind of guy who believes in big ideas that are big enough that they just might happen. Yeah. And like, that's. That's how I'm wired. Not, but I appreciate that not everybody is. Rob, I'm I with you. I think you you enter somebody in every race, and some of those will surprise you. You're going to win some of those that you didn't expect to. And it also has the effect of making the bench deeper, which we constantly complain right. about. you got to go through a lot of candidates to find the charismatic, successful, effective politicians 
that you need yeah. to get yourself to where you're trying to get. Who and doesn't even know that they are on the field. that person. Yeah. So put them Rob, on the field. I want to be real respectful of your time, but I got one more question that's uh, that's a little bit off in left field here. So as as one former recovering Republican from 20 years ago to another, for those Republicans in the state of Arkansas who are feeling that their party has left them or that they mm -hmm. are homeless, what do you say to them? We had a very long debate yesterday between the three of us that got a little contentious at time. It was really actually fun where we were saying, are we going to ask Republican voters to to vote for a Democrat? Are we going to ask them to just do what's right for the country? Are we going to ask them to just think harder? What is the ask that we should make of these people that are in the middle of the bell curve who feel like that they're unrepresented and homeless? Yeah, that's a great question. Far too often, I, I think there's a number of ways to go at this, but far too often, organizations that have a brand like Democrats, they have an identity like Democrats, they go for the identity change first. Listen, if you're a Republican who's disaffected, become a Democrat. The challenge with that is, is that when it comes to how people change, identity is typically a lagging indicator behavioral change comes before identity change. So what I like to do, I talk to candidates about being exceptional candidates. And what I mean by that is being the kind of candidate that someone's willing to make an exception for. And so they'll say something like, oh, I would never vote for a Democrat, but I would vote for her. I would vote for him. They're willing, they, and then as that domino falls, it leads to others. So my best friend in the world is a conservative Republican that I've known since the day we met our freshman year of college when we were put together as roommates, and we've been best friends ever since. He sent me a copy, a, a picture of his ballot in 2022. It was bright red. It had votes for people that I was just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you'd vote for them. But he voted for Chris Jones and Kelly Kraut. He was because they were exceptional candidates. He's never voted for a Democrat in his life, but he was willing to make an exception because of them. And that's just the beginning. That's the step. So my advice is begin. don't ask for an identity change. Listen, if you like, if you're a Cowboys fan, like I, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I we're I laughing know, because I the Cowboys fan analogy is exactly what I used in our argument yesterday. Uh, excellent. Excellent. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. If you want to get me to root for the Cowboys, like don't ask me to change my identity as a Browns fan, ask me to root for the Cowboys in a particular game. And maybe I will. It probably won't be a game against the Browns, but, but I might root for it. It's that kind of thing where you've got to begin with behavioral change. And then the identity change happens much later. I fear that there's too many groups who are invested in the identity and so they they try to change that and it's much harder. Now, are, I'd say the other thing I'd say is as a former Republican, 
I think one of the real damage that Democrats do sometimes is the what took you so long attitude. Oh, my God. That I I remember I a while back I posted on Facebook. This was years ago. I posted something about on Facebook about I don't know, something political. And there was a, a Democratic person who responded like basically, I can't believe you voted for George W. Bush. And and just like lambasting me. And I'm like, listen, in the year 2000, I was a different person than I am now. And that person did what that person did. Like you trying to shame me two decades later doesn't help anybody. Like, yeah. come on. You have to wel- you have to welcome them to the yes. fold. Yes. In a non condescending manner. Yes. Wherever oh, it has to be essentially we're glad you're here. Yes. Totally. Yes. Thanks, man. We really appreciate it. And listen, when we get our shit together, I want you to come on and really tell us your story because I think it's fascinating how you got where you are and talk about Vortex and Chris. My pleasure. 